Well, hey, what a great morning already, um, right? Just a good morning already. I, I'm going to throw an outline on the screen if you haven't been with us. And if you have been with us, just to kind of remind us where we've been. Um, we are, by nature, a church who teaches exegetically. We just go straight through books of the Bible, and, and that's um, what we do by habit and by nature. Tyler just said just a minute ago we're going to have a series on marriage and relationships, which is a little bit of an anomaly for Safe Haven, if you've been around, um, for us to do something like that. But we just believe it's necessary. And so that will be on Sunday mornings. We're going to do that on Sunday mornings during this time right here, where we'll take a break from our study of Hebrews and just have that three weeks where we focus on what relationships look like. Again, I cannot beg you enough to be here. Bring your friends. Um, as Tyler said, it doesn't matter if you're married, widowed, divorced, um, whatever, this applies to all relationships. Be here for that. But nonetheless, we are in a study of Hebrews. I want to give you a recap again as it is on the screen. Uh, the first chapter intro, if you remember verses 1 through 3, had nothing to do with any commands or anything like that. It was just the grandeur of Jesus. Probably the most lofty three verses in all of the Bible or any introduction to any book is found in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. And so that's where it kicked off just by saying that God has a voice and His voice is Son. He, he speaks language of Son. Uh, I, during that day, said that Americans speak American. My son afterwards came up to me and reminded me that we do not speak American. We, in fact, speak English. And so, that's the language that God speaks. His language is not English. His language, according to Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, His language, His dialect, His vernacular is Son. And so we looked through that. It was incredible. Uh, then, uh, the chapter 1 continued to flesh itself out. The, the content of that was just that Jesus is immensely better than angels. He's so much better than angels in the law. And we looked at that and how Christ because of what He's done, has forgiven our past sin, our present sin, and our future sin. He has forgiven all of that. And so we kind of washed through all of that. He's so much better than angels. So why would you worship angels? The writer of Hebrews is saying, don't worship an angel. Jesus is so much better than angels. That's where we've been going. And then chapter 2 today has already kicked off where we wrapped up last week, and we'll continue it this week. And it's going to sound something like this. Because He's these things... Pay attention. Lean in. Press into Him still more. Fight the fight. He is worth it. He's worth pressing on. Um, Run the race that is set before you no matter what. Good is coming. That's where we've been. And, And as we've been doing this, I can't help but think of two martyrs that we studied when I was headed through school that I think speaks to this. People who leaned in, who pressed in, who, who Jesus made a, that much of a difference to their life. October 16th, uh, 1555, a guy named Hugh Latimer and another guy named Nicholas Ridley found themselves tied back to back around a post with uh, logs beneath them that were about to be set on fire. Uh, these two men were two different people. Hugh Latimer was a preacher. Nicholas Ridley was a scholar. Hugh Latimer, the preacher, had preached before King Henry VIII. And this is fascinating to me. And he's, Henry VIII is right before him. Um, you guys, some of you are thinking the song right now, Henry VIII, I am, I am. That guy. Okay, That's who he is preaching before. And he began his sermon by saying this to himself out loud before everybody. Latimer, do you remember your preaching before the high and mighty King Henry VIII, 
who has the power to send you to prison or to cut off your head if it pleases him. Will you not take care to say nothing that will offend royal ears? And then he paused, contemplated his thoughts, looked around the room, and then said aloud a second time, But, O Latimer, do you remember also that you're preaching before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, before him at whose throne Henry VIII will stand and give an account of himself? So, Latimer, be faithful to your master and declare all of God's words. That's a spine of steel. That's boldness. That's... That's something that just theory Jesus doesn't fix. That's something more to that type of faith, isn't there? It's deep-rooted faith. Nicholas Ridley, obviously Henry VIII did not like that, which is why the brother is now tied at a post. But nonetheless, uh, Nicholas Ridley was a scholar. He wasn't a preacher, but as a scholar, he refused to follow uh, what was being pumped out by the Catholic Church, that faith itself was rooted in works and faith itself was rooted in um, tradition. And, and so he would not go for this. And so he was also condemned to execution. And before the night of his execution, his brother, his own brother, came to him and said, Hey, man, um, how can I assist you? How can I comfort you? I know that you're going to be executed tomorrow and there's nothing we can do about it. How can I assist you? And here's what he said. He said, I intend, brother, God willing, tonight to just go to bed and sleep as quietly as I've ever slept before. That's a deep-rooted change. There's something deep in that type of faith, right? That is a deep-seated, strong, emboldened faith. Well, the flames begin to rise up. The end of the story is this. The flames begin to rise up, tied back to get, back to back. And as the flames rose up, Ridley, the scholar, said to Latimer, Attached to his back. Be of good heart, Brother Latimer, for God will either soften the fury of the flame or else he'll give us strength to abide it. Pretty powerful, right? Wait for this next statement. Latimer, the preacher to the scholar, returns a response and calmly responds to Ridley this way And you, Brother Ridley, be of good comfort and play the man as flames begin to rise up their legs. We shall light this day such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. That's a different type faith. That is a spine of steel despite... That is not a casual, I just came in here on Sunday morning, I'm just going to check out Jesus. That is like a deep-seated burning change. How do you get that type change? What gives that type resolve? What gives that type guts? What gives that type leaning in? What gives that type fighting the drift? Christ had changed them Not again by theory, but by reality. Willing to die these gruesome, gruesome deaths. So, I ask again, what type of Jesus fosters that type of allegiance? That's a bold allegiance. Um, I'm going to suggest to you that there's different type Jesuses. Now, I know, right now, a lot of you went, whoa, hold up, back the bus up. Track with me for just a second. 
I do think there are different type Jesuses. We'll go ahead and throw them on the screen for you above. Here's some different type Jesuses that I would argue none of these Jesuses can foster that type in boldness. Here's the different type Jesuses that exist in our world today. Number one, we've got the academic Jesus. He's fun to think about. He's fun to study. It kind of feels right to study him, so why not? I'm studying chemistry, English, whatever. So I'll just study him as well. Uh, There's the bubblegum Jesus that a lot of people bite into. Uh, Great for that short fix. Eases my conviction when I need him. I'll think about him. And, and you know, after that conviction's over with, I'm out again. I'll see you Christmas, guys. (laughs) You know, it's kind of that, I I get him when I want him. Just kind of sweet, gummy Jesus. Uh, Rabbit's foot Jesus. This is the Jesus that uh, when the batter goes up to the batter's box and he's about to hit and he draws the cross in the dirt before he gets up there just to whiff and strike out. You know, uh, it's, that, it's that lucky rabbit's foot Jesus or I love Jesus on my black eyes you know, so that I can go fight the fight on the football. It's just kind of this superstitious Jesus. Uh, the in my heart Jesus. I prayed the prayer, I did the formula so that I could get the insurance card. So I know I'm good because I prayed that prayer. You know, it's just kind of that, he's in my heart. You know, it doesn't mean anything to me in my life, but he's in my heart. I, I did the thing, I prayed the formula. The Alabama Jesus. Y'all all know this one. I guarantee you know this one. The Alabama Jesus. We say grace and we say amen if you ain't into that. Ah! If you just said it in your head, you're going to hell. You know? <laughs> no, you know what I'm talking about. We say grace, we say amen, we're going to eat some ham. You know, uh, it, it's, that, it's the cultural Jesus. It's just, that's the key to being a part of the culture. So I just say that I'm with Jesus, you know. Um, the homeboy Jesus, this is kind of the opposite of Alabama Jesus. This is the cool guy. Cool, laid-back Jesus. Y'all seen the picture on the shirts of Jesus, my homeboy? And he's like going, you know, that kind of thing. It's that Jesus. He tolerates everything. He loves everything. It's, it's the smiley, giddy Jesus, you know. The time clock Jesus. Some of y'all struggle with the time clock Jesus. You like to work, you know, so you punch the clock. I did the duty. I read my Bible. I studied the thing. I did the... So I'm proving, you know, I'm doing my job. It's the rhythms of life, Jesus. The talent agent, Jesus. Uh, you know, you couldn't make it in the symphony in town, but we got a band and you like to play, you know. So it's, it's, it's that I, I want to use my gifts, my artistic gifts. And, and so he's, he's, he's the avenue by which I get to do my thing, you know. Or the therapist, Jesus. When I need coping, when I need uh, times of counsel, that's when I go to Jesus. You know, And I'm not saying that Jesus can't fulfill some of those things. I'm just saying that a lot of times in our society, we'll buy into that's who Jesus is to us. And that type Jesus, one of those will never produce a spine of steel when you're tied back to back going, I'll take the flames. It's a weak Jesuses. All false Jesuses and all those have the exact same flaw. They exist to serve me and accomplish my will. Every single one of those Jesuses. What's in it for me? Me. Me. And I would suggest to you that that's not the real Jesus of the Bible. The real Jesus of the Bible is one who has one resounding anthem. How did he achieve holiness? my greatest need, and accomplish the Father's redemptive plan. That's the Jesus. When you're enamored with Him, that will give you a spine of steel. That's the real Jesus. 
When you're captivated by, I don't need a quick fix and I don't need a home run. I got a big issue. I'm a sinner and I'm separated from the Father. And Jesus is telling me that He, he fixed that. That He bridged the gap, that He conquered my sin, that He made the way. That's the Jesus, man, that will... You can set us ablaze and we'll go, doesn't matter, kill me now. Because for me to be absent from the body is to be present with my Lord. That's the spine of steel, Jesus. So, with that said, when we're overwhelmed with the biblical Jesus, we'll take gladly the ridicule. We'll gladly take the knife, and we'll gladly take the flame. Well, with that said, Lord willing, we're going to find freedom from fear today in at least two forms of worship. We're going to, we're going to find freedom from fear, fear in just a minute through visual worship as we take of the sacraments. Um, and we're reminded visually of what Christ has done for us to free us from fear. Okay, So when we take communion, we'll be doing that. Uh, we'll also be remembering this freedom from fear with verbal worship today through the text. So again, Lord willing, let's dive into five aspects in Hebrews chapter 2 as we continue our journey um, of how Jesus leaves us fearless. Of how He emboldens us, how He makes us, maybe I could just say, just gutsy. <laughs> he gives us guts. Okay, so here we go. Number one, the biblical Jesus emboldens us because he was, the writer of Hebrews is going to say, born lower than the angels. And Christ, the biblical Jesus, being born lower than the angels actually will empower us and embolden us. Let's see how the author uh, fleshes this out. Verse 5 is where we pick back up our journey. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we're speaking. It's been testified somewhere that somewhere is Psalm 8. For all of you note takers, Psalm 8 is actually a... Hebrews 2 is actually a recap of Psalm 8. So study that in your community groups. Talk through that. you got to know that that's where this comes from. For it's testified somewhere... What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. Now, why should that embolden us? I'm going to suggest to you a couple of reasons why. Let's think through this. Christ's deity was expressed in chapter 1. He's divine. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of His nature. That's important. It is important that Jesus was deity, okay? But chapter 2 is going to speak not to his deity, it's going to speak actually to his humanity. And that humanity is equally as important. It's critical. Uh, theologians call this the hypostatic union, the God-man, the, the one who is both simultaneously. And that is incredibly important. Now, I'm going to bring that up because, let me, let me ask you a question. If you were teaching one of the Sunday school classes for the kids today, Okay, let's say you were up here where all these little kids are um, or back there where all these kids are or over there in that building where all those kids are. By the way, we got a lot of kids at Safe Haven and they're just kind of everywhere, you know, and praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's really cool. And that baby room over there is like a whole other animal literally unto itself, okay? Uh, But really cool what God's doing around Safe Haven. Let me ask you a question. You're teaching some of these kids... And, and you ask him this question. If you said, hey, guys, who is Jesus? And, and one of the little boys or one of the little girls goes, well, Jesus was a man. How many of y'all would go, hold on a second. Hey, 
No, he's God. Anyone? Would we defend that real fast? Hey, he's not just a man. He's God. And I think that if we're not careful, we can, in our attempt to defend from bad heresy, we can overemphasize the deity of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that's unimportant. I'm not saying it's not essential. I'm saying it it is those things, but we can errantly forget that he was also fully man and see the beauty of his full humanity simultaneously. And I think that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying you can be emboldened because he's not just divine, chapter 1, he's also fully human, chapter 2. He's made a little lower than the angels. In other words, yes, he is 100% the one who created the woodpecker. Now, I've been studying the woodpecker because of the article Jamie sent me. Um, the woodpecker, they're doing some research on concussions. And so he sent me thinking about concussions. And they've got this little device now that restricts the blood flow around your neck. And the whole theory is that it keeps more blood in your brain, which kind of creates um, like a, a, a um, fluid so that when you bash your head against something, it, it kind of protects it. And so the theory is based off the study of woodpeckers. And woodpeckers apparently have a muscle in their neck that when they're, you know, they got their tail feather out banging this way and their head going this way. When they're banging, that it restricts the blood flow, this muscle, and it protects their little tiny bird brains, you know, from getting concussions or whatever it is. Neat theory. Don't know if it's true. They're researching it, all this kind of stuff. But all I'm saying is, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, yes, He is 100% the guy who created the woodpecker with the muscle in his neck that protects his brain, but he's also 100% just like you. He's just like you. He's like us, chapter 4 is going to say as I spit all over the stage. He's like us. He had a human mom who had a very natural birth. I assume that Mary is in heaven slapping anyone who sings Silent Night (laughs) because it was a natural birth. Baby Jesus was crying like a baby. And I can just see Mary going, don't you sing it one more time, one more again. I don't think that happens in heaven. It would be fun if it did. He had a body and a mind that grew. He grew in wisdom and stature with man. There was a wall chart. He grew. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. He took a nap. So again, you take a nap today and be like, I'm trying to be like my Lord. I'm trying to be like Jesus today. He loved. He got angry. He was tempted. He was jealous. Not jealous with sin. That's not what I'm saying. He was tempted with these things. He rode the emotions that we ride. He was tempted in all ways, yet without without sin. Yeah, so he knew these things. Temptation is not wrong. That's not not the sin. It's when we give in to it. He, He was tempted in all these things. He had a human will. We see this human will expressed in the greatest moment in the garden. In the garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father... I do not want to drink this cup in my human will, right? You remember this, right? So much so that he began to bleed, sweat and blood. 
but Father. Not my will, there we go, but yours be done. He had a human will. He really lived life. He, 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 he sweated. I don't know what the past tense of sweated is. Grammarians get me afterwards. Is it swat? He sweated. He played. He laughed. He had jokes. He had all of these things. He was a carpenter for heaven's sake. I imagine at some point in carpenter, he probably slammed his finger with a holy hammer (laughs) and was tempted to let it fly like the rest of us. He was all of these things. And all of this is unfurling in the word right here before us that he was made a little lower than the angels. And now why on earth would this give us confidence in a spine of steel? Because as a human... He gets it. He gets it. As divinity, he doesn't get it. But in his humanity, he gets it. Just like you get it. That's why this should bold. He gets the full force of Satan's attacks. He gets the full force of Satan going, Hey, don't you need a little more applause? Don't, you shouldn't have got bypassed. You deserve the trinket. You deserve the whatever. He can help with temptation. We all know what it's like to overindulge, right? I'm going to overindulge in this eating. I'm going to overindulge in this drinking. I'm going to overindulge with this media. I'm going to over... He gets it. He gets the temptation. He understands all of this. And Hebrews 4 is going to go on to say this, that he sympathizes with our weakness. He could not sympathize if he had not been made for a little while a little bit lower than the angels. Him being humanity gives us boldness. The most encouraging thing about this is this. We can rest assured that Jesus as the one who walked the human life on our behalf is not before the Father right now going, yep, that Troy's an idiot. (laughs) I mean, he might be doing that because I would be doing that. But he can sympathize and we can rest assured that he's going this. Father, I've been there. And I know the struggle that they're struggling with. I identify with them. That's what the humanity is. The author is going to go on to say this, not only emboldened because he was made a little bit lower than the angels and because he gets it, but because he was then crowned king. Says this, the writer goes on to say, um, that he for a little while was made lower than the angels, but he now, you have crowned him with glory and honor. Um, You have put everything in subjection under His feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to Him, He left nothing outside of His control. And at the present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. So it's kind of this, yes, He accomplished it and He will accomplish it still more for all eternity. It's kind of what's going on here. Um, you, You want to know the greatest power a third grader ever feels in their life? It's when they become or are dubbed, picked, crowned as the class monitor when the teacher has to go out of the room for a little bit. It's the greatest power. I can still remember it. I never, I never got picked. But I remember those people that got picked and I was jealous of them. You know, the teacher's got to go out of the room and she's got the chair up there and, and she goes, little Sally. And I'm like, oh, I'll get you little Sally on the playground later. Little Sally would come up. Yeah, I'm going to need you to be the class monitor. Sally's up. She comes up to the throne, sits down, and then she's given a piece of, it's like a sword in her hand, a piece of chalk. 
Now, all you young bucks don't know what chalk is. But chalk was real back in the day. Teachers had it everywhere. You know, Hands a piece of chalk to Sally. Sally sits there, and then she sits on her throne and just watches across the room. And I'm going to tell you right now, I mean, I, y'all can guess right ahead. My name was, I would just go ahead and say, Sally, go ahead and put my name up. Just put 15 checks. Just go ahead and just get this out of the way. You know, she'd sit there and because she's dubbed this. Well, here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, listen, here's why you can be emboldened. You can be emboldened because Jesus was dubbed. He was picked. He was crowned by the divine Father of the universe. This one right here is the King. You serve and worship the King. That's why you can take the flame. One you follow is the King. The one dubbed king, handpicked by not the teacher, but the divine sovereign Lord. And here in Hebrews, we're reminded that um, not only is he top dog, but he's top dog with honor and dominion. This should ring our ears back to I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. It's, it's what Adam was supposed to have. You remember this. You remember in Genesis chapter 1, 26-ish. Um, after man was created, he says, listen, Adam, I want you to have dominion, and I want you to have authority, and I want you to rule the earth. And then he fell. Our first Adam fell in this, but our second Adam dubbed king and dominion, and he conquered it this time. He ruled it in the way that the Father wanted. We remember how he ruled as king. On earth, he's got Adams and elements obeying his every command. You've got Jesus walking, going... Hey, see, I'm going to need to walk on top of you. And the atoms and the elements get in place, and he begins walking up because he's king. He's king over the universe. He's king over the atoms. He's king over the elements. He's king over the, He conquered it all, and he ruled and reigned. And not only that, but on earth, his dominion was not just over elements, but it was over Satan himself. Satan in the garden strikes at the heel, but the one promised to come will crush his head. And while Christ on earth exercises dominion by stepping and crushing Satan's head, he rules in this way. And one day all living beings will bow before him, either forced or willing, but all beings will bow before him as the ones... Why does this give us a spine of steel? Because as the divinely chosen king... Not only does He get us in our humanity, but He's got this as the sovereign reigning Lord. Number three, we can be emboldened because He was also the suffering servant who tasted death. The writer of Hebrews is going to go on to say. Verse 9 says this, But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now to understand suffering, we first got to understand wrath and depravity, or we'll never understand the type of suffering that we're talking about. Remember, we weren't created to suffer. That's not how we were originally designed, okay? We chose suffering. The Father said this, here's my rules, here's my way, you obey it, Adam and Eve didn't, and we can look back and go, well, if I was Adam, well, if I were, well, here's what would happen if you were Adam and Eve, you'd do the same thing. 
Just like we continue to choose to do every day. We choose to disobey. And when we choose to disobey, we bring upon ourselves suffering. So, maybe a simple illustration of this would just be driving up a mountain and there's a couple of guardrails. God has given us instruction and those instructions are guardrails. And the guardrails as you're driving up a mountain are not to rob you from the joy of looking over the mountain. They protect you from the disease and suffering of falling off the mountain. And that's exactly the way that the commands work that the Lord has given us. He's given us these commands and Adam and Eve hopped over the guardrail and began to tumble down the mountain. Therefore, suffering entered into the world. And we likewise, every time we choose to disobey or disregard those commands, we jump over the guardrails and we endure suffering. But it was never meant to be that way. That wasn't the original design. And so Adam and Eve left us that way. So, to redeem humanity, understanding depravity and wrath, to redeem humanity, Christ stepped in to our suffering. He could have stepped into nothing but joy and accolades. He could have indeed forced everyone to bow to Him, but He didn't. He stepped into suffering, and this is important. This is critical to understanding the gospel because it accomplished at minimum two things. Christ stepped into suffering, number one, to achieve what theologians call penal substitution. Think of penalization. Um, Think of the judicial system, if you will. Okay, He stepped in to receive the punishment and execution that we deserve. He could not have done that had He not stepped into suffering. He had to suffer. He had to endure the suffering to accomplish that on our behalf. And then number two, he also lived. And this is what theologians call, he lived as Christus Victor. He lived the victorious life. He didn't just die the gruesome suffering death. He lived the victorious life. He accomplished it. He fulfilled all of the law. He stayed between the guardrails the whole time. He never jumped over. And that's what emboldens us. D.A. Carson sums it up this way. (laughs) Jesus had to be one with us to do something for us. That's good. And right now you go, Troy, you could have just said that and I'd have got it. He had to be one with us to do something for us. And to be one with us, he had to step into suffering and he chose to do it. That's what's astonishing about the Lord. Because if I was the Lord... And if you were the Lord in this room, you probably wouldn't have stepped into suffering. I'm God. I deserve this throne. Lightning bolts for all of them. (laughs) Praise the Lord, we're not God. Amen? Full of grace and mercy that we just sang about. And this is why we sing about the blood. This is why we drink in just a minute the blood. This is why we rejoice in the blood. Otherwise, when we talked about blood, we would just sound like sadistic vampires. (laughs) Something off the Twilight series, okay? This is why the virgin birth is absolutely essential. Why do I say all that? There's a miracle in, and Elizabeth could explain this more certainly than I could um, because I have a, uh, she has a real degree and I have a Google degree, so um, hers carries a little more weight. Um, but it's a cool thing about this umbilical cord and placenta that ladies have. 
It's really fascinating. It's, it's a miracle. Because what happens is when a baby is in utero, the mother and baby share certain cells and share some nutrients and all this kind of stuff. But the placenta, and however it works, grows both ways together and prevents blood swapping. It allows for nutrients and cells to pass through, but it prevents blood swapping. This is the beauty of the divine, holy Christ child who was born of the Spirit, also born of woman, so bypassed all the sinful DNA fallout that we have through the Spirit, but yet fully human simultaneously. All this is going on, so His blood remains pure. It had to remain pure for us to not be in sin So as the one who remained pure, he still chose in his purity to step into, not applause, but into suffering. So that he could identify with us and accomplish what we deserved. He bore the fullness of the wrath of God as the one who suffered and tasted death. Fully human, yet fully divine. It's fascinating. Why does this embolden us? Why does this give us a spine of steel? Because He endured our suffering, even though He was spotless and pure, to give us life and to give us life abundant. Tie me to a post. Number four. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, we're emboldened because He is the unashamed brother. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children uh, God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the work, uh, destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear and death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. We'll pause right there. We are emboldened because the writer of Hebrews tells us Jesus is our brother and he's unashamed to call us brothers. If you had a brother, this already is starting to ring fun to your heart. Because I had a brother, and my brother needed me for two things. Number one, somebody to practice WWF moves on. The figure four had to be mastered, and I was, I was the guinea pig. Uh, suplex. A suplex occurred in our living room many, many times. Uh, he needed me for that, okay? This is me asking for therapy, all right? So I, I get it. And, and then number two, somebody to blame something on. I, we, he broke a glass egg that my mom had given us. And to this day, I'm telling you, he still will deny breaking that egg. He blamed that on me. And I'm telling you, I did not break this egg. It is on video. I did not break that egg. Mark Nicholson broke the egg. Okay? This is what my brother needed me for. I asked him one time to go to Arby's in front of a group of his friends. I'm telling you, he looked at me like I had leprosy. <laughs> so unclean, unclean. You know. 
But what did Jesus do to the leper? He walked up to him and he said, You can be my brother. What did Jesus do with the misfit that was hiding up in a tree? (laughs) I'm not worthy. I'm just going to hang out in this tree up here. He walked up to him and said, Hey, let's go eat dinner together and you can be my brother. All the religious folks, they didn't want nothing to do with him. I, I seriously used to think that the church was for people that had it all together. Like I really did believe that. And some of y'all, I'm just, anybody else, did you believe that? Like church was for people who had it all together? Anybody? Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought it was all about. And some of you do think that. The church is full of misfit toys. And Jesus views those misfit toys as a badge of honor. So much so that he'll call them brothers. A band of brothers, if you will. And he bids us as misfit toys to hop in the car with him because he wants to take us to Arby's with the rest of his friends. He emboldens us by calling us brother. So, how does that give us a spine of steel? If you're a follower of his, no matter how much of a misfit toy you are, he loves you and is proud of you. And some of you can skip out on the rest of everything else I say because you need to hear that. If you're in Christ, he is proud of you as a brother and sister of his. Side note of that, if he calls us brother, (laughs) how dare we judge anybody else as less than brother? Who are we to make that call? And then number five, let's wrap it up. We're also emboldened because he was and is faithful high priest. So the writer wraps up this section by saying, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Let's back it up. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Still seeing that tension between divinity and humanity. He wants us to understand those two are equally important. Um, uh, faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted the high priest did not represent God we get a misunderstanding of high priests they didn't represent God they represented the people and they brought the broken people to God they couldn't represent God because they're not like God but they can definitely identify with broken people And they would help bring those broken people to the Father who's holy. And so he, being the high priest, did this for us. They lived to intercede, to teach, to to offer sacrifices. And this emboldens us by saying Jesus also came to identify with you in his humanity. To teach you, to live with you, to live amongst you, and to bring you before the Father. But here's the thing. The high priests, to offer sacrifice, would slaughter a pigeon. (laughs) They would slaughter a dove. They would slaughter a bull. They would slaughter a goat. They would slaughter a lamb. But Christ, once and for all, said, done with that slaughter. Here's how much I love you. 
perfect blood, yet human, stayed between the guardrails, lived the life. I'm not going to slaughter a blood, a bull and a goat. Cut me in half. Slaughter me. And I can take you straight to the throne room. That's why you can boldly approach the throne. Misfits. Of which I'm the chief misfit in the room. How does this give us a spine of steel? Because though he's distant by divinity, he is very near in his humanity. He gets it. So think through this one last time with me before the band comes back up. One last time through all these things, this is the one pleading your case. This is the one who lives to intercede on your behalf. This is who he is. Number one, he's the one who got in the foxhole with us lower than the angels. Number two, he's the one who was crowned king by God the Father himself. Number three, he's the one who suffered and tasted death to identify with humanity and take the fatal blow of God's wrath. Number four, he's the one who rose from the dead and calls misfit his brothers and sisters and does so proudly. Number five, he's the one who's the faithful high priest who did whatever it took to get people before the throne of God. And that, my friend, is why you should have a spine of steel and why you should come before the Father in confidence. In confidence. Now this falls on unbelieving people in this room, at best, apathetic. Eh, okay. Okay, maybe, whatever. But for believers... Does this not hit us in the exact same way that it hit the psalmist? The psalmist screamed out this after contemplating these things. Again, Psalm 8 is is everything that's said in Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2 is repeating Psalm 8. You've got to go read that. There's one thing left out. The response of the psalmist after thinking through all of these things said this. I can't believe it. How marvelous is the Lord. Doesn't that ring true to us still today? If you're a believer, you go, I can't believe that. Why? And the answer is, He only did it because He loves you. He loves you. The Father who is all these things loves you. Just like you are. So we echo, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name where? In all the earth. The band comes back up. Just thinking about those martyrs again. There really is no DNA code that that matches those who follow Christ. We're kind of we're like we're all over the place. Like we look different. We're different colors. We're different socioeconomic status. We're different personalities. We're, we're all these things. But the one thing that unites everybody, like those martyrs who are emboldened, is that we understand how broken we are, and how incredible Jesus is. And if you get that. You've got it. You've got it. You get the depths. So unbeliever, 
in this room. I, I've, I've sat where you're sitting right now. I've felt that call, that pull, that tug. I've, I've, I, I get it. I understand what you're dealing with right now. Like you've just heard all these thoughts. I know, I've felt that heart. Like right now you're feeling the pounding in your chest. I've, I've felt that as well. Um, I know that you feel like you don't know enough. I still feel like I don't know enough. Right? I've been in the game a while. Um, I assume that when I'm about to be laid in the dirt, I still will go, I don't think I know enough. I get it. I know the feeling that you have of, but I've sinned too much. I've gone too far. I know that. And I feel like that this morning. If that's you, I, like we're on the same page, brother and sister. I know that feeling of, but I don't have it all figured out yet. I don't either. I know that feeling of, but I feel broken and I, I need to control at least this part of my life. I, I get it. Here's the good news for you. God prefers broken people who don't have it figured out. As a matter of fact, that's what He demands for entry in. It's for us to bow and go, I don't have it figured out. But I feel like you do. So all of me, I give to all of you the suffering servant who substituted crown king of glory, lower than humanity, yet our great high priest. Let's pray together. So Lord Jesus, thank you for this text. Thank you for the first three chapters. God, I know we're going to take a break for a couple of weeks. And I expect you... I beg you, I shouldn't say I expect you. Lord, you're sovereign, you can do whatever you want to do. Um, But Lord, I I do pray that you speak to us greatly in understanding how the gospel impacts relationships for the next couple of weeks. But I do thank you for these past three weeks in Hebrews. And I look forward to studying the rest of the chapters together. But, God, I pray today as we've contemplated the first little section of how you're greater than angels... Lord, that something in this text will cause believers to scream with the psalmist, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name! And we'll come to the table rejoicing and we'll sing rejoicing and and we'll walk out of here rejoicing going, Wow, Jesus is an emboldening... One who implants spines of steel in us. I'm confident in Him, Lord, that we'll have boldness, fearlessness today because of Jesus. And then for unbelievers in this room who right now are contemplating Christ, Lord Jesus, would you overcome their resistance? Would they today call on you as the risen, conquering, substitutionary, life-living Christus Victor Lord? Lord, would you do the work of salvation today, please, in this room? Believers, I'm going to ask you right now to pray for salvation of unbelievers in this room. Right now. Don't sit idly by. Pray. If you're an unbeliever in this room, you've heard the gospel today. Christ came. He was sinless. 
He lived the perfect life. He fulfilled the law. He comes and says, if you're broken, if you're at the end of yourself, trust in me. I will give you the righteousness that I earned. He died. He was buried. He rose from the grave. That's the linchpin of what we understand to be true in salvation. Meaning, He conquered death's curse. He he rose again. Meaning, the Father approved His work as atoning, as the sacrifice was complete, as it really is finished. And so, like a claw machine, Jesus reached down and picked up righteousness, and He says, I will give this to you if you repent of your sin, confess Me as Lord, and trust in Me. You can do that today. Right now where you sit. And if you do, let us know. We want to talk to you about what baptism looks like, what walking in faith with community of believers look like. We want to rejoice with you that you've trusted in Jesus. Come to Him broken and walk away whole. My final takeaway is from Tiffany Lyle's Hebrews devotional section. She reminds us of this. Jesus didn't suffer for His own salvation. He was God. His purpose was to destroy the enemy of sin and death for us. He came to give freedom, hope, and salvation. And Tiffany, I'm going to add one and fearlessness to all who believe. Well, amen.